First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. In five, four, three, two. Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Happy Labor Day to you and yours. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined here by all my co-hosts. Steve Jeffries, Yogi Poliwell, Andy Palmer. And so this week, uh, you know, to celebrate Labor Day, we mm-hmm. wanted to talk about the real laborers, the people who do the hard work of launching IPOs, <laughs> multi-billion uh, dollar initial public offerings. Right. And we thought there was no better example of how these are the we- real wealth producers in society than Adam Newman, the billionaire co-founder of WeWork. Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. So WeWork is going to launch an IPO this month, September 2019. We don't know the exact date, but they're going to have their initial public offering. And um, it's kind of an interesting thing where something we've talked about in this podcast is, you know, corporate media generally runs cover for billionaires, right. doesn't, doesn't really uh, uh, interrogate their position in society. Uh, however... Um, in the lead-up to this initial public offering, there have been prominent articles in Forbes, New York Times, Business Insider, Financial Times, Bloomberg, New York Magazine, all of which have basically said, yeah, WeWork is a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to do a Ponzi scheme for an IPO. Yeah, that sounds about right. Just all over the media, and everyone's like, yeah, I guess we just do Ponzi scheme IPOs now. It's about I will community. Say- <laughs> it's about community, guys. I will building say- them. <laughs> Uh, for research for this episode, um, I spent about five hours uh, a year and a half ago on a date with someone who works for WeWork, <laughs> just arguing because she hated that I voted for Jill Stein. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you had time between her 60 to 70 hour work week. <laughs> uh, I think she managed to find time in between, uh, in her words, uh, scheduling when people would be fired. Yeah, for this episode, I chose to put uh, one of the uh, vaginal jade goop eggs in my ass, and uh, we'll see how it lines up with the end of the episode. (laughs) And so, I mean, so we work, like, this is the initial public offering equivalent of running into a jewelry store, smashing a display case, and grabbing everything (laughs) you can, and then running out. And it's just interesting where, I mean, this is, it gives me deja vu to the dot-com bust. Where we'll kind of go through Adam Newman, Forbes gives him a net worth about four point one billion. It's um, it's not very reliable because that entirely depends on how you value WeWork the company, which nobody knows how to. Right. It's apparently been valued uh, up to forty seven billion dollars. Last year they said it was twenty billion dollars. But there's like a competing uh, company that does a similar thing that has a, a, a market capitalization of like three billion dollars, hmm. even though they make they actually make a profit and have more square footage than we work. <laughs> the the forty seven billion dollar valuation that people as being bandied. About mm-hmm. is often based on just the amount of private investment that's been shoveled in over the past eight years. Oh, right. really? Yeah. So there's like a few big players like uh, SoftBank from Japan mm-hmm. and uh, the Vision Fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we'll get into. Right. Yeah, my burning pile of cash is valued at uh, $8 billion. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's true. WeWork loses like two billion dollars a year. Wow. <laughs> I think they lost one point eight billion last year. They lost uh, more than one billion well, um, the year before it. Well, like I mean, like the other unicorn companies, which uh, the rough definition seems to be over one billion dollar valuation, but negative operating cash flow. Right. Uh, they. Um, I was reading this one company, uh, Triton Research, which does like IPO valuation research. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty consistent that for every $1 of revenue that these unicorn companies make, they lose $2. What? Yep. Why is it that all these companies, for every, revenue. every yeah. one of them is like, hey, let's put a boatload of money into something that doesn't really work and then hope that all our competitors will die before us and we somehow remain victorious? It's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, there's a couple countries, com- companies that just have, it just live off of the idea that they can grow forever, basically. Hmm. Yeah. So they're less like the popular conception of unicorns and more like the uh, medieval conception of unicorns, which is that they'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, this is the dangerous unicorn. Right, it's right. not like the friendly, um, but like my y- little pony one. Like right. all unicorns, they're white. So I think that's pretty <laughs> obvious. <laughs> I do like how we've set up an economic system based around the bank robbery video game Payday Two. <laughs> <laughs> get in, get the money, get the fuck out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is like the startup economy so, we've all built. Well, like the investment banks on Wall Street are helping them and basically like rehearse the heist right and that's <laughs> exactly that's well, part of why they earn their fee basically right, right, it's right. how the the original private investors and the founders can get in get out get the money yeah well and that's something we've talked about on this podcast is you know the dot-com bust of uh, 2000 2001 was like really kind of a pump and dump for wall street where they would ipo all of these uh companies that had no ability to ever in history possibly make money and so you kind of see that again with uh, with WeWork, uh, just jumping ahead a little bit from this Forbes article, which lays it out really well, actually. Um, so uh, Adam Newman, the billionaire subject of today, uh, quoting from Forbes, seems to be using the company's IPO as another way to profit. Newman has a personal line of credit of up to $500 million from UBS, J.P. Morgan Chase, Credit Suisse, all of whom are coincidentally underwriters in WeWork's IPO. Interestingly, one bank not listed as a personal lender to Newman is Morgan Stanley, which reportedly pulled out of WeWork's IPO after it failed to win the lead underwriter position. Hmm. So the entire point here is that these banks get to collect the fees and uh, uh, other uh, uh, cash incentives that come with being the lead underwriter and exchange. They're like, hey, here's a $500 million line of credit. And so, you know, even if WeWork goes under, Newman as well as uh, Newman will have cashed out. Right. Uh, but the banks that underwrote the IPO will have collected hefty fees and probably cashed out as well, unloaded their stock options. So it's just something where it's like, again, this is deja vu with the dot-com bust. Now, this is all legal. This is not something that's been stopped before. Like, why are we not... Like, if it's so similar to something that clearly crippled the fucking economy, how is it not something that people are going, hey, let's stop this thing? It's all legal, baby. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's all legal? Yeah. <laughs> oh, as far as... I mean, as far as, like, the fees that right, Wall right, Street right. firms are getting for just for underwriting this deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's right. That's nuts. I mean, it's probably their fees probably exceed the five hundred million dollar line of credit. Sure, sure, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Right, and so Adam Newman's got a five hundred million dollar line of credit. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Adam Newman's got a five hundred million dollar line of credit. Uh, he's, according to the Wall Street Journal, cashed out at least seven hundred million. 
of his personal stock. So it's like, again, like you can argue about if he should be worth $4.1 billion based on this valuation. He's already exited with at least a billion dollars. Really? His company has never made money. And it's like, I mean, it seems like a giant pump and dump scam on right. all investors, which we'll kind of go through a little bit more here. But um, I guess uh, one other thing is uh, you mentioned SoftBank, the Japanese bank. So in 2017, SoftBank, uh, they launched the Vision Fund, which is a $100 billion fund, which includes $45 billion from the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia. And so in 2017, they invested a little more than $3 billion in WeWork, mm-hmm. but they wanted to invest more, but apparently the Saudi investors got nervous. Aww. So I just... <laughs> I just like that the people who thought it was a good idea to murder a Washington Post journalist in an embassy were also smart enough to figure out that this was a scam. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, they totally got away with murdering. <laughs> you know, in, in retrospect, yeah. like, we all yeah, thought they were like, just being dumb, but yeah. no, they knew. That was a pretty solid roll, roll, the dice, roll the dice twice. <laughs> like, uh, even they're like, I don't know, I pushed my luck. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like, and, and we'll kind of go through this with uh, Adam Newman and his wife, but it's it's the new culture of how scams sound where it's just all this new agey post-capitalism bullshit. It's the same old capitalism, but you know, we talk about we, and they talk about we're not selling uh, office space. We're selling community right. and uh, all this shit. Oh, another th- uh, fun, yeah, fun it's thing. It's the share a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, uh, we work refuses to call tenants tenants. They call them quote members oh. and they mm. refuse to use the word tenant anywhere. I got a member for them. <laughs> But I guess we should just Hello, note. <laughs> we should note for people not familiar with the WeWork business model, they rent office space on long-term leases, like 15-year leases, and then they sublet it to uh, usually small business startups, but more and more uh, uh, big-name companies as well. And um, yeah, oh, really, like the the average lease term is pretty short for huh. their tenants. Like Wait, more about 15, members. 15 months. <laughs> members, sorry. 15 months or so. I think they, their primary uh, uh, membership is pro- board trust fund kids. Sure, sure. I'm trying to tell themselves that they're working. You're telling me there's big company members now, too? That there's c- companies going, let's invest in... Me. Is it, like, uh, incestuous in that the companies think that WeWork would be popular, so they want to put money in it as well? Or is it less incestuous and more those companies are idiots? Uh, that's mainly, okay, like, almost, almost all of their members Mm -hmm. are, like, small businesses of, like, like, five to 20 people or so. Oh, okay. And there's a, there's been a few more, like, large, large members. I'm just gonna switch to tenants, because this is easier. (laughs) Uh, Gonna whip out this large tenant. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's been a few large-scale tenants, but basically it's just all small businesses. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, that need, like, cheap... Uh, like you don't even own your own desk sort of s- setups. Right. Yeah, we had to call the sheriff's department to forcibly end somebody's membership. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bad time to tell our listeners that we're doing this podcast out of a WeWork. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're at a WeWork right, <laughs> right Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, we're doing this at the open bar that is at WeWork. <laughs> so if you hear anything in the background, it's people making uh, cappuccinos and martinis and stuff. It's yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's people in the co-working space ma- making the cut it motion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blow up our spot. I wonder how much of that free beer you could get before you're kind of breaking even on the... Have you guys been to one? No. No, I've okay. been to one. I've been to them a few times. There is an open bar. Oh. There is uh, you know, free coffee and all that. 
One thing, uh, one thing we'll cover is uh, a couple of the practices that uh, the wife chooses to include in WeWork, and one of them is they have kombucha on tap. Oh. So if you want the booch, get to a WeWork. Um, the, uh, Adam Newman was supposedly drinking so... It was either Adam or Miguel, according to a source that we got, mm-hmm. that they were drinking so much kombucha that it was making them ill until someone was like, oh, no, that has alcohol in it. And they were like, oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> Right, Yogi mentioned uh, Miguel McKelvey is the co-founder. He's also a billionaire as well. Billionaires Uh, are the best and the brightest. (laughs) We're not going to focus so much on him today, because I think this will be an interesting two-parter, where we'll do Adam Newman today. Hello, Newman. (laughs) We'll do Newman today, and then we'll do Miguel McKelvey after the federal indictments come out. Right, of course. So we can follow up uh, (laughs) once they have all fled the country (laughs) to avoid their wire fraud charges. (laughs) Renting an apartment out of at Monaco <laughs> with Ghislaine Maxwell. <laughs> I'm looking at the the WeWork workspace pricing. Yeah. And for a private office, it starts at about 930 a month. Ooh. Cool. Yeah. You can also get what's called a hot desk, which is you don't have a, s- a specified place. It's just you will be somewhere. Hot for about 475 a month for one, for one person. I guess if you want to save some money on an apartment and have as much free beer as you want and get a cot 540 a month <laughs> private <laughs> private office right right uh, are there reports of people living in WeWorks? uh not that i've seen because there's no security there right it's just people showing up do they, sh- they close up shop ever i think they usually they close at like six mm-hmm. i mean i guess it depends on the building sure sure um interesting yeah oh yeah no we'll close up yeah you go on <laughs> you go on home <laughs> Yeah, I got a job being security at a WeWork. Great rent and great benefits. <laughs> yeah. Free well, I mean, beer. Like, yeah, so just to characterize their their membership, it's mainly like small fit, five to 20 person small businesses that um, like that aesthetic, I guess, of, uh, you know, um, glass glass walls, wood paneling. Right, right. Um, mid-century furniture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shit that you get on Wayfair. Yeah. Right, like, and you know, a lot of companies have gotten into this whole co-working space kind of thing, and uh, you know, whatever other buzzwords. But I guess before we start with kind of the chronological biography of Adam Newman, I, I did want to mention um, the the one thing that essentially why everybody thinks this is a scam, and I really do personally believe it's impossible for this business to make money. Right, is um, they have lease obligations. We mentioned they they mostly don't own their buildings; they just get these fifteen-year leases or however long it may be. And they have lease obligations totaling $47 billion, which oddly enough is like the highest valuation for them I've seen. (laughs) But they only have, Steve, you were saying um, rental income guaranteed of something like four and a half billion. They have, yeah, they have 47 billion of obligations for their leases. Right. 4.1 billion worth of um, income from those leases. Right. And so that's the interesting thing here is the Forbes article points out like this is an economic expansion. Like not everyone's doing great, of course, but, you know, lots of businesses have been doing well enough. WeWork has been burning billions of dollars every year in a comparatively good economy. So what the fuck happens if there's a recession? Well, they've been filling the gap basically with private investors so far. Right. And they want the IPO to bail out their some of the highest some of the highest percentage ownership and also the founder. 
I mean, I bet they cracked the code where when there's a recession, they just turned it all around. (laughs) Well, here's the interesting thing. The only conceivable explanation I've heard that doesn't involve this just being a straight up pump and dump boiler room scam is that WeWork is just trying to expand until they are a too big to fail tenant. Right, right. Like they're trying to become a, a fucking, not Lehman Brothers, but let's say Goldman Sachs, you know, where right now WeWork is the biggest tenant in all of New York City. They are the second biggest tenant in London next to the British government. So it's like all of these offices have these uh, office spaces, have these long leases with WeWork. If WeWork buckles under, then it's like either the idea is the entire mm. rental economy will collapse Hell yeah. unless they renegotiate their leases oh. or just the fucking government has to straight up bail them out. Right. I'll, be, I'll be honest. Like usually these... Um, learning about these billionaires and all their corruption and shit it leaves me with a pretty bleak feeling Mm -hmm. but the idea of we were completely collapsing and destroying the rental market just fills me with joy (laughs) (laughs) i mean you you gotta hope that there's maybe a sanders administration sure sure um, by the time they really go under but well i've noticed like doing this podcast the billionaires that like we've almost two years now the billionaires that i really hate are kind of like the warren buffett like i'm a good guy but like these kind of adam newman people where it's just like yeah i'm just openly (laughs) do where it's just like i'm just openly doing a boiler room scam on the dow jones industrial average (laughs) try to stop me on some level you almost respect that you're like he recognizes they killed Epstein in plain sight. You can just you can get away with shit now. So yeah, why not just do a fucking uh, a pump and dump scam in front of everybody's faces and be like, yeah, I don't care how many people write about this. If all uh, I have to do is break the cameras and pay the guards enough to lie, it's it's not that much. There's a lot of different ways to characterize the precarious position of WeWork, but one way is in terms of its occupancy they can handle in a downturn. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Regis, or Regis, however, however you want to pronounce that, and uh, one of their, w- one of its <laughs> one of its biggest competitors, um, they compare themselves in terms of a lot of people have compared them in terms of their what occupancy they could manage in a downturn and still. Um, maintain be Who able to, to be able to pay be able to pay interest on all of their obligations and not just be a complete ponzi scheme um and it would in a down in a downturn a lot of people estimate we work would go down to about like if they go below 85 percent occupancy they're pretty screwed really uh-huh. but compare that to regus where that's where they're at that's regus's occupancy rate in an up market Oh, so they have they're relatively more efficient in terms of what they can handle in a downturn. Right, right. So yeah. Regis actually has their company set up so that if they, so wait, eighty percent is high for Regis. Like that would be good for them. Whereas that, yeah, they're able to accept lower occupancy rates gotcha, and still gotcha. be servicing all of their debt. You know, all now, of their equity positions. Now is Regis cheaper than WeWork? Or are they just another company doing the same thing but in different markets? They're so they're another older company working at the same scales as we work interesting um they have they have residential and commercial properties just like we work mm-hmm. um a lot of people have said like why should i care about we work if another group has already been doing basically the, sa- the same thing right and a lot of the interiors of their buildings are a lot different they say like well we work is better because it's able to um you know court millennials or whatever sure, sure, and sure. like uh, a richer clientele 
somewhat more wealthy like and like more growth oriented companies basically right right right. we were selling but the brand as well as the. it doesn't really satisfy a lot of the questions that come up in bloomberg and what have you about right. investors are like wait a minute if a bunch of rich people can come together in fort Regis and do basically the same thing and then we work is just doing you know more or less the same thing themselves right like why why should i care interesting well so can i can i just yeah. go on a tangent for a second there's a thunderstorm coming in and if i get I just like to make a request. If I get, I'm closest to the window. If I get struck by lightning, keep recording. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we'll start the uh, the biography here. But I did just want to note one more thing um, with regards to all this self dealing we've mentioned, and we'll kind of get back to it. But so WeWork has released what's called the prospectus for their IPO, mm-hmm. which is like supposed to be you know their disclosures for public investors. And uh, an a- an expert told Bloomberg it was quote a masterpiece of obfuscation. Obsfus- <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, because they invented a stat called community-adjusted EBITDA, yeah. which we've d- discussed EBITDA as like earnings before taxes, depreciation, amortization, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh. like a crude, it's a measure Wall Street uses a lot of times to to try and normalize companies who make completely different things earnings. Right, basically. right, right. It's called- so, that sounds like a, a bit transliteration though, yeah. of hieroglyphs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like, this is the approximate of pronunciation. Right, right, right. Yeah. But just like, so community adjusted, like that so has they, no they're, fucking yeah, they're adding <laughs> They're adding one more letter to it, basically. Oh, right. gotcha, so, gotcha. Wait, like, explain that, though. I haven't really heard well, of it. Well, so I'll kind of go through it a little more uh, towards the end of this episode. But the gist that I got was they just kind of like hide their costs in all sorts of different spaces where they're like, not report costs per building and they'll just like bunch it into a bunch of different things mm. and this community adjusted allows them to reduce their costs for no apparent reason at all oh really because they say it's like oh but our spaces are like not taking into account the community factor so we get to like mm. change EBITDA this standard metric of all of fucking public companies right, right. and I they're just it. doing that in front of everybody's faces yeah, it's like uh, investors aren't taking into account that there's an open bar yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I love the post-recession or Great Recession scams that just completely infested our culture where no one in our generation has enough money. And so we're all like trying to skim money where we can right, by right. sharing things. And marketers just picked up on that and just turn it into Ooh. all of these like share a coke community <laughs> right, you better right. i love it because it's the equivalent of like hey we'll share our netflix password with you if you join us it's like <laughs> it's there's no real fucking benefit to it except the fact that you can get a slightly better life at a cheaper value yeah so like with the i mean EBITDA or EBITDA is like something um, only, only really only really wall street analysts would ever care about EBITDA mm-hmm. uh, but they're adding yeah. on one additional letter to it basically and makes it even more tenuous as a measure of evaluation um, right blue community EBITDA Eiffel <laughs> <laughs> 69 uh, so and I guess one other thing to mention is uh, Ashton Kutcher who uh-huh. you might know from that 70s show uh, he's <laughs> he's a 
Like he's been a, a big mean jobs. Yeah, he's been a yes. big tech investor. Like I think he made a lot of money on Uber and shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so he's been a strategic partner of this company and really? promoting strategically pouring money into corporations that lose millions a day. <laughs> <laughs> What's the butterfly effect? You see, it's one of the realities that he uh, got to explore because of a, a notebook with that he uses to see different parts of the future, and this is the future where he invests in WeWork. <laughs> And like in the butterfly effect, uh, he's getting involved with pedophiles. <laughs> I just like how nobody considered the optics of having the star of the TV show punked front and center <laughs> promoting your pump and dump scam. No, we need him because he was doing an Indian accent for uh, Pop Chips, and that's really the brand WeWork needs to it would be exemplify. Great. It would be great if uh, the first day of the IPO, Ashton Kutcher walks onto the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and goes, there's a camera right there. There's a camera right there. You've just been punked. While ringing the bell. Yeah. It kicks off the next Great Depression. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher kicked off the Depression today, and honestly, the closing bell has never sounded worse. <laughs> All right, so let's kind of talk chronologically about Adam Newman. And then I we'll have an idea. Oops. Oh, this is one of the more dystopian things I've ever heard. Yeah, let's set this up correctly. So this is, uh, we were talking about Ashton Kutcher is the strategic partner. So WeWork does these creator awards. They do all sorts of promotional bullshit. It's coincidentally mandatory for employees to attend. Of course it is. And uh, it's, if they don't attend, count it against their performance. So mm-hmm. it's just an extra way of squeezing more hours out of people. But these creator awards, um, they award, it's like a shark tank, but, you know, new age uh, stuff. Sure. So this is a promotional WeWork video. It's about a minute long where Ashton Kutcher and Adam Newman are uh, hearing the pitch of an audience member at a, a WeWork creator award. I have an idea. But just to start, we do a pitch on the spot I and like let's see where it goes. I like this. Okay, raise of hands. One, that was first. Hold on. Here's what we're going to do because we just invented this. So we're going to do this on the fly. I need two minutes on the stopwatch. Ashton's going to shoot a few questions at you. Fire and let's away, see where we go. Ashton. All right, hold on. I'm hitting the like 35th floor. Let's go. Elevator pitch. My name is Sarah Martin McConnell, and I founded Music for Seniors. We connect live music programming to older adults. Many of them have Alzheimer's, and we need to keep them active and engaged. And guess what? Participating in live music is at the top of the brain gain food chain for keeping your mind active. Sarah, we work couldn't be happier than to give you the $50,000. It's yours. It's done. What a fucking dystopian future we live in. <laughs> it's it has the most like it you can't see it but it has the most game show like deal or no deal look to it at the end of it. Man, I just hope that old people listening to live music know that if it wasn't for Ashton Kutcher, they wouldn't be able to get live music in their <laughs> life streaming to them. First of all, live music streaming isn't live music. It's just a, a performance that you're streaming. Ah, this whole thing makes me so mad. I mean, if they tried to go with real live music, that would be the most diarrhea-smelling <laughs> <laughs> auditorium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Nashville, where this took place. Ashton Kutcher's like, is it Alzheimer's because you forgot the good pitch? <laughs> Burn! <laughs> Face! 
But I just like, like, these are the people who control capital distribution in this country and society. It's right. like, yeah, just you got two minutes to beg us for $50,000. Right, right, right. And if you look at the YouTube video, more dislikes than likes. <laughs> Official WeWork promotional yes. video. Man. Only 7,000 views for something that would probably cost $50, more than that to produce. Yeah. At least, yeah. Um, That's seven thousand views on that horse shit. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't even get the people that pay their idi- fucking wages to watch this stupid video. <laughs> How fucking dare they? Like, there's even like some. We'll get to this more later. But uh, Adam Newman's wife wife uh, is a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. and there's an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow and his wife. I think her name's Catherine. I'll look that mm-hmm. up in a moment. But uh, it's only on Facebook. You can't find the video anywhere else. And it's pretty obvious wherever else they put it, they took it down <laughs> because of hate comments and low views. Most likely i hate when i'm drinking free beer at the we work tap space and uh that idiot keeps taking the aux cable and putting on the we work promotional videos (laughs) (laughs) rebecca newman is his wife's name uh so i just realized how dystopian the name we work (laughs) is oh my god just now yeah Uh, tell us about it we work Oh, yeah, don't don't even get me started. And they have all these other companies, We Grow, and we'll, we'll get into them a little bit in a but minute. But just, I mean, it's a real Arbeit Mach Fry thing. Yeah. We work. Well, and I think we'll get into this right here. So Adam Newman is born 1979. Hello, Newman. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's what I meant to hit earlier. <laughs> uh, so Adam Newman, we'll get into this right here, is Adam Newman is uh, born in 1979 in Tel Aviv, Israel. And so he talks about... Oh, that's what his weird accent is. I thought it was right. Belgium. Yeah. So he talks about growing up in a kibbutz, is an Israeli um, community facility. Though I, I guess I'll just start with reading from Forbes, um, and then we can play this other drop of him describing the kibbutz. Uh, so from Forbes, Newman was born in Israel to a pair of doctors who divorced when he was young. He lived in 13 places during his first 22 years, including two years in Indianapolis and a stint on a kibbutz where his mother was the doctor. He so- lived in 13 places uh, growing up, a former Palestinian's home <laughs> in the Northwest Bank, a fully furnished former Palestinian's home in the Midwest Bank. <laughs> Yeah, I got the inspiration for WeWork when I kept seeing uh, bulldozers destroying <laughs> uh, non-community spaces. He's giving a TED Talk. One day we can turn all of the West Bank into a shared <laughs> co-working space. We work West Bank. <laughs> the, the IDF is the largest tenant. <laughs> You see, Palestinian homes are very exclusionary private spaces, but if you just knock down a wall, then it becomes a, a community space where you can build a kibbutz. Um, oh, yeah, so continuing from this Forbes description. Yeah, so he was on a kibbutz. His mother was the doctor, quote, severely dyslexic. Newman couldn't read or write until third grade, but still one entrance into the Israeli Navy's elite officer program. I mean, a lot of billionaires are dyslexic. Yeah, that's the go-to yeah. like uh, I couldn't read good challenge story <laughs> or like struggle story. Right, right. Because it's something that like does affect their life, but then doesn't. Because none of these people are ever like I mean, except uh, uh, Naval Ravikant, who was like, I read, I read ninety books every second. Like uh, the most, the rest of them seem to not need to know how to read. Uh, it, reading is not necessary to become a billionaire. Apparently, why is dyslexia actually like? higher proportion of billionaires in the general population i think it so. sort of seems like yeah it. well i think that's from all the people we've covered 
I mean, but also I think it's a part of the struggle before they become a billionaire. It's the whole idea that like if they don't have anything to claim that was difficult for them, we would look at them. It's like not having a sense of smell. Exactly. (laughs) Right, right, right. It doesn't affect their (laughs) life necessarily, but it's something that would make a regular person be like, man, it must have been so hard to not be able to read. Maybe all billionaires know one doctor who's like, yeah, I'll write a note saying you had dyslexia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, most likely. Put some struggle on that story. Why not? <laughs> it's like anyone who's like raised poor. It's not, I have dyslexia. It's like, I have trouble reading and I don't know why. Right, right, right. Uh, so we mentioned Adam Newman's born in Tel Aviv, 1979. His parents are part of the first graduating class of Ben-Gurion University Medical School. Hmm. Uh, that was founded in 1969. Um, at the age of nine, his parents divorced. This is from Heritz. Um, and so he's in Indian- Haaretz. 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 He's in Indianapolis for a bit. You got to pronounce the Aleph, Sean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the, he's in Indianapolis for a bit. Then in 1990, they come back to Israel from the U.S. Um, uh, quoting from the same article, it was important to my mother that we do something special. That's how we came to be at Kibbutz uh, Niram. Uh, she worked as a doctor in a nearby hospital and also as a doctor in the Kibbutz. Um, and he went to the Shah Hanegev School, which is located uh, near the Gaza Strip. So he was grew up right on the border with Gaza. But uh, I did want to mention one interesting thing about Kibbutz uh, Niram. He had some uh, fun childhood antics, uh, sawing open water pipelines going into <laughs> Gaza. <laughs> Kids will be kids. <laughs> they couldn't drink clean water for a whole week. <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd p- play these games where we'd put fireworks in the tunnels, bringing medical supplies in. <laughs> <laughs> and then we told the IDF that they had missiles. Uh, oh, yeah, so fun story from Kibbutz near Am. Um, so it's founded in 1943. Uh, it should be noted uh, the Nakba is the, the common name for in 1948. About 700,000 Palestinians were expelled from their homes mostly through terrorist violence and intimidation, uh, coinciding with the founding of the State of Israel. Uh, Many of them are still alive today, but of course a lot of their descendants are alive. 700,000 people expelled from their homes. Uh, Kibbutz Niram, uh, as I said, was founded in 43, but in 1948 it uh, participated in this orgy of war crimes and violence against Palestinian refugees. Uh, just from a Heretz article, quote, Another brutal case occurred at Kibetz Niram, a case of the interrogation of an Arab by unauthorized persons with cruel tortures and his execution amid abuse. He was tortured there. Uh, his genital organ was clasped with pliers. His head was smashed against a wall. Ugh. He lay in a pit and was shot and covered over. Um, and this was actually from a 19—I was quoting— uh, Heretz was quoting from a 1948 report by the Israeli government that was delivered to uh, then the first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, uh, who the medical school was named after. This report describing this brutal war crime and execution was delivered to him, and then he covered it up until the year 2018 what? when it was reported on. So this is just the kind of thing where there was, and there are lots of other cases, but this particular kibbutz, like at least one refugee or innocent person was just fucking had their dick like 
mutilated. Yes, with pliers and was executed. And again, that's that's what happened in the Nakba. There was so much like terrorist violence and intimidation to just tell these people, get the fuck out of your homes or we will kill right. you. And this is where he grew up. He, he grew, his parents were fucking settler colonialists. Man, but I love that 2015 Bill Murray movie, Rock the Nakba. <laughs> See, at least like, you know, a good dyed in the wool, uh, long ancestry American like Andy, he can just say, like, my great-great-grandparents sure, were settler sure. colonialists. Like, Adam Newman... A few more greats, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Newman, like, just straight up his parents were. And this is what he describes but, as, like... But I liked that scene in Operation Finale about Eichmann with uh, Oscar Isaac as the adorable <laughs> Mossad agent, <laughs> where Ben-Gurion comes in and says... Only you guys can bring justice for the Holocaust. <laughs> and he is supposed to be like the wise old uh, Grandpa Israel. Right, of course. Supposed to be is. Yeah. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel adorably dropping the pliers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. How am I going to cut this Arab's genitals off? It's so hard being a new girl. Um, okay, so, and I wanted to play, because we, we talked about this kibbutz here, so Adam Newman actually talks about the kibbutz a lot, about, like, providing the community inspiration for WeWork, and right. it, here's just a short drop of him talking about it. Wow, very educated crowd. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, a kibbutz is a failed social experiment that happened in Israel. <laughs> As a teenager and as a child, it was the most unbelievable place to grow up. I was with all my friends from morning till night. We ate in the same dining hall. We drove to the same school, and then we all did our homework together, or we didn't do our homework together. It was awesome. As adults, though, I remember looking at the kibbutz and saying, so in a kibbutz, everybody makes the same amount of money. So one of my friend's dads was the head of the factory. He worked 16 hours a day. Another friend's dad was the head of the gardening. He worked six hours a day. They both made the same amount of money. So even though for us as kids it was amazing, I always remember thinking that it's not fair that someone's effort is not getting rewarded based on what he puts in. And I've had a few discussions with Google about this. They sometimes call us kibbutz 2.0, but I think a little bit of a capitalistic kibbutz. So on the one hand, community. On the other hand, still, you, you eat what you kill and you get what it is that you did. And every person... It's very unfair that people are not getting the reward for all the hard work of starting a pump and dump scam. <laughs> Wait, I thought they got they. I mean, I thought with the kibbutz they just get the same hourly wage. So, like, if you well, it's nice that the people who make that you're making the same don't eat what they kill. All yeah. I know is he considering doesn't eat butt. how it was found. <laughs> yeah, then they'd be That's cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Stephen. That's an interesting question because I... I thought they just made the same wage. Right. They didn't get paid the same. Right. I don't know. For six versus 16 It hours. sounds like a child's interpretation of what the kibbutz is may not be the best source. Yeah, my friend's dad, he worked six hours a day as a janitor, whereas I worked 16 hours a day defrauding public investors <laughs> yeah. and pension funds. And I don't think it should be we get the same amount of money. And that's the WeWork philosophy. Um, I don't understand why if I flip burgers for three hours and you eat burgers for three hours, why your burger weight is inside your mouth. Oh, man. WeWork is going to be destroying so many IRAs. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. 401ks. Uh, go ahead and hit the pause button on this episode and find out if your 401k is invested in WeWork. <laughs> and if it's in an index fund, the good one, it probably is invested in WeWork. Right, right. Put it in uh, bonds. Yeah. God. James Bonds. 
It really is just like a tragedy where 401ks are all tax subsidized. So just the working public writ large, like bankrolls these scams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Goldman Sachs gets to like IPO it and exit. And then all the people with 401ks are just going to have no idea that they're getting fucking hosed on WeWork. Um, but we'll see how that all turns out. Um, I did want to mention one other story from the kibbutz. Uh, according to Forbes, he remembers uh, that it was hard for him to make friends at first. Adam Newman does. However, his family had the only VCR, and Newman finally got some kids to come to the house and watch movies. But the VCR was gone. His mm. mom had taken it to the hospital for a 24-year-old cancer patient with little time left. The other kids were extremely understanding, and we still ended up hanging out, Newman says, tugging at his shirt, his face redding, reddening, and his eyes tearing up. The funny thing is that everyone soon completely forgot about the VCR. And then one day, two months later, we came back into my house, and the VCR had returned. Nobody had to ask why. <laughs> so he's the kid who had the Star Wars toys at the daycare. Yes. <laughs> and th that's just like, I mean, first of all, that's a dumbass story, but... <laughs> But it's also just a way of illustrating he was the rich kid on the kibbutz. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, because it's like, it's kind of hard to trace where exactly his startup capital came from. But All the other kids had Betamax, <laughs> and none of the cancer kids wanted to watch Betamax. <laughs> they needed a VHS, because as we all know, between the wars of VHS and Betamax, <laughs> there was more pornography on VHS. <laughs> and the cancer children, that's all they wanted. <laughs> Probably one of the most brutal wars in the region. <laughs> All but the other kids were jealous because we got to occupy the house of the family who had a VCR <laughs> when they fled. <laughs> and they didn't have time to take it with them. By the way, the, I know it's a quick addendo, uh, yeah. quick aside, but you guys know that that's true, right? The VHS Betamax war was won because there's more pornography on VHS. And then the same thing happened on HD DVDs and mm. Blu-rays. Uh, Japan chose Blu-rays, and that's why Blu-rays won that war. Mm. And if you are not worried about, like, the... Uh, uh, face fake things the fake swap things yeah uh, that's a hundred percent coming from the porn industry <laughs> the technology to replace people's faces to make it look like celebrities is instilled inside porn and celebrity fake porn so if you're worried about porn taking over the universe it already has um so uh the israeli oh yeah so he serves adam newman serves in the israeli navy for five years 1996 to 2001 uh i I did do a basic effort attempting to tie him to shelling in Lebanon. <laughs> uh, there was uh, Operation Grapes of Wrath in like 96 where they shelled Lebanon and killed a bunch of civilians and they were doing that sporadically all the way up through uh, 2001. Oh, did he waltz with Bashir? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, when they say shelling, I don't know if that's field artillery pieces or Navy ships or whatever else. Um, but he he really does describe the kibbutz and the uh, the navy as like all these community building exercises that inspired WeWork. Um, but uh, he leaves the Israeli Navy in 2001, and in 2001 he moves to New York City and he moves into the Tribeca apartment of his younger sister Addie, who had been a model in New York City since she was 16 years old. Oh, uh, yes, a model in Tribeca. Yes. What humble roots this family comes from. Very successful. Um, I also did Google uh, Addie, Addie Newman and Jeffrey Epstein, but no results there. Uh, yeah, I don't think the flight logs go back that far. <laughs> I've got them right here for the next it's episode. It's truly a maximum effort research tangent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though, interestingly enough, Adam Newman, as of 2018, has invested in 
Ehud Barak, the former Israeli prime minister. Go back. What was her last name again? Uh, Newman. Newman. Oh, yeah. Okay, A-D- go back to 90- A-D-I Newman. They go back to 95. I'll start scrolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> yes. A resident Epstein expert, Andy Barr. Uh, so Ehud Barak was former Israeli prime minister who said he's visited Epstein more than 10 but less than 100 times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all the way up to at least Man. 2016. Um, I, bet, I bet the cable companies took this guy's lead for building a fucking window. <laughs> yeah, we'll be at your place from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. the next day. Uh, oh, yeah. So in 2018, uh, Ehud Barak has a medical marijuana startup <laughs> that Adam Newman has invested in. Of course. Why not? So, you know, that's that's his six degrees of separation with Jeffrey Epstein. Wait, Ehud Barak has a medical marijuana he startup? He does, yes. Soon we're gonna see we weed, <laughs> spelled in the we French, weed. French O U I weed. <laughs> That's a decent idea. Weed company. Yeah. Um, so the way Adam Newman describes it, again, in 2001, he moves to New York City. He lives in his sister's Tribeca apartment. Uh, he describes his life in New York as going to qu- clubs and quote hitting on every girl in the city unquote. Um, he goes to city school at Baruch College in uh, 2002, majors in business, and um, he uh, kind of pitches the initial idea for WeWork there, uh, though apparently his professor doesn't go for it and is like, this is an obvious Ponzi scheme. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, like, he talks about, you know, this just shows teachers don't know what they're talking about. What was his pitch like, I wonder? I don't, he's he, like, what, what if, what if? I got a lease on a building, and then I lease it out for <laughs> relatively shorter periods of time than my lease. What if I did that? Ashton Kutcher was in that room. Revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, what if I just get like enough institutional investors to be like, yeah, we could dump this on the public. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so uh, according to a business insider, he said the idea was it was like a entrepreneurship competition. And this was killed in the second round because a professor didn't think Newman would be able to raise enough money to change the way people live, <laughs> uh, unquote. And uh, <laughs> on some level, that professor was right. Right, but right, right. He was just like, yeah, I have to imagine that the public markets will function at the most basic degree possible <laughs> and prevent this. What year is the, all this shit going on? 90 Two, 2002. Mm, okay. So this is all pre-2008 crash. Um, and so he drops out of business school, Adam Newman does. Uh, the way Adam Newman describes it, he describes WeWork as his fourth business and um, his co-founder's fifth business. So mm-hmm. another thing we've talked about is, like, they have enough money to fucking fail. Right. Like, they're living in Tribeca. He's living in a Tribeca apartment. His two parents are doctors. Yeah, he's dropping mm-hmm. out of college. Right. Like, Yeah, you can be a serial entrepreneur <laughs> a exactly. little bit easier when right. you have that background. Um, so he's, like, he's at this business college for a bit before he drops out. He, he starts out, his first company is an idea for women's collapsible heeled shoes. And then he launches a company called... <laughs> What a dumb idea. Yeah. Collapsible heels. What are you, d- dense? I don't know. You can walk more comfortably. <sighs> Nobody gets heels to be comfortable. That's yeah. like inherently, that'd be like a sports car that turns into a minivan. Like it doesn't make any sense. Wait, they collapse into flats, I guess. I guess so, yeah. The idiotic. That's the stupidest thing um, I've ever heard. If anyone, if any that, of our listeners actually bought a pair of these. That's like the cargo zip-off shorts thing like it seems like a decent idea and concept and then you see anybody wearing it and you're like you're the 
dumbest person in the street and you're the least fashionable person that's ever existed wearing zip-off cargo short pants. You make cargo pants into cargo shorts and then you have two sleeves. Where do you put the sleeves in? Well, they're cargo shorts, so you just put them in the pockets. You didn't own any zip-off cargo pants slash shorts? I only wore those for most of my life. Okay, because I wore those in middle school. Union Bay. That was my brand. Okay. On days where, you know... You could go either uh, way. Middle, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, a little bit too hot. With it. A little too cold. 65 <laughs> degrees or so. <laughs> yeah. I just realized nobody should read too much into a former IDF member moving to lower Manhattan in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> and being put up in a luxury apartment for some reason. Uh, so... Uh, oh yeah, his second business is called Crawlers, and this is he's selling baby clothes with built-in knee pads. Ugh. And uh, apparently, the slogan was quote Just because they don't tell you doesn't mean they don't hurt. Wow. Unquote. Uh, so he's selling oh. those two babies. Um, and then from New York Magazine, here's my next idea: they're dog goggles. <laughs> Just because they can't talk doesn't mean their eyes don't need blocking from rain. Yeah, it's literally like the pitch from uh, "It's Always Sunny," like kitten mittens. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, here's the thing: they might not be the worst ideas, but the fact that this idiot was like, "This is gonna be my business," ugh, that's an idea that within three seconds somebody should go, uh, "Buddy, move on." Baby crawlers with knee pads is just as good as baby gas masks. Sure, there's some application for it, but the reality is most babies don't need gas masks or knee pads. What type? Unless of they're living in the Gaza Strip. <laughs> <laughs> the, the knee pad thing requires more creativity than his actual business. Right, now. right. Like the being. Uh, <laughs> Having subtenants in lots of commercial buildings requires like no creative energy. Exactly. Like, Whereas the no, knee wait, cap wait. thing does. He made knee pads for babies so they could more efficiently suck Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> dick. <laughs> it was, it was a, a yeah. massage top be a priority. Better, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. So just from this New York Magazine profile, it um, does seem like he when he did the baby knee pads thing. Like, right after that, some mentor took him aside and was like, I know you're trying to scam people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go flashy. Go with something boring. <laughs> it's right. way more believable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from, sorry. From this New York Magazine profile, he meets his co-founder, uh, Miguel McKelvey. Uh, Miguel McKelvey also grew up in Commune in Oregon. Uh, apparently, they said uh, they met him through a mutual met each other through mutual friends uh, from the New York Mag profile. McKelvey had a job at a small architecture firm in Brooklyn, where he worked on a few early American apparel stores. One of his colleagues was Newman's roommate. When McKelvey went over there to their apartment, he was taken aback by the casual vibe of the place. The door was left open, and people were hanging out, chatting, and playing guitar. I didn't know Israelis at the time, he says. Now looking back on it, this was a very Israeli environment. Just open door policy, unquote. And uh, yes, there's an open door policy unless you are a medic (laughs) trying to leave the Gaza Strip, in which case you will be shot through the heart by a sniper. Before we started the episode, I looked into the commune Miguel was at in Oregon, and it is not the Rajneesh uh, commune that was featured in the Wild Wild Country documentary on Netflix. Uh, I don't know what commune it is. Uh, unfortunately, the state of Oregon has had many. Um, but the other thing is is that uh, during this time, 
when Rebecca Newman and Adam Newman have been dating for a little bit and they meet Miguel. Uh, the name of WeWork was created by their mutual friend, Adam, Andrew Finkelstein, who Adam Newman met on the roof of his building one night. And Adam Andrew Finkelstein started, uh, this chose the name WeWork or created the name WeWork to pitch to them. But originally their company was called Green Desk. <laughs> right. So, and the story with Green Desk, again, it's like hard to get info on their startup capital, but it seems like they were both clearly rich kids. Yeah, clearly. Um, so the story with Green Desk, according to New York Mag, is basically this. Um, like they mentioned that uh, Newman was subletting some of his space. I don't know if this is still the Tribeca apartment or some other, but it's like, okay, so he has enough real estate in New York to make money subletting it. But uh, the story is Newman persuaded his landlord, Joshua Gutman, to rent him a floor in Brooklyn, and they launched Green Death. Green Desk. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Slip of the tongue, but also true. Uh, so they, uh, he persuaded the landlord to, to rent him a floor in Brooklyn, and they launched Green Desk, an earth-friendly co-working space. It was a hit. Uh, Newman and McKelvey looked to expand to Manhattan. Gutman instead wanted to fill vacant spaces in his Brooklyn building. They sold him their stake in Green Desk for $3 million and bet their winnings on uh, a Manhattan co-working space that became uh, WeWork, the first WeWork. Um, So just an interesting thing here is like, I guess it should be mentioned. I worked in Brooklyn real estate. Uh, I was a real estate rental salesperson. And just something that's kind of under-discussed is, you know, the Hasidic community and their ownership of, like, so much of Brooklyn. Tread lightly, Sean. They won't rent to you or do business with you if you're not Jewish. Yeah. Like, every single um, uh, New York rental firm has to have a Hasidic member, like a Hasidic co-owner or co-founder, just because, like, that's the only person who can make a connection with the community. So it's just one of those things where, you know, we talk about connections. Like, clearly, Adam Newman had some money. But these various New York landlords go into business with him partly because he is Jewish. So do you, th- yeah, you think that if he wasn't Jewish, he wouldn't have been able to have done the WeWork that he did? Absolutely not. Just because you just can't deal, particularly with Brooklyn real estate, without either being Jewish or having a partner who was Jewish. Hmm. Um, but it, what I wanted to mention... Send your, this podcast is anti-Semitic <laughs> to at SeanMcCarthyCom at Twitter. Uh what I wanted to mention is so, and that's just like, again, a weird story where they get this landlord to, to rent them space in his building. No explanation of where they got the money to rent this space. You have right. to assume they just grew up with money. They rent this space and then he buys them out for $3 million. Hmm. And this is their startup capital to go into their next venture, which is their uh, Canal Street property. Uh, they now have more than like 66 uh, New York properties, but their first one's on Canal Street. And then the one other story of their startup capital is, so they get this $3 million, uh, 2010 they found WeWork, mm-hmm. and there's a Hasidic landlord, landlord a guy named Joel uh, Schreiber, um, who according to The Real Deal, uh, uh, after they cash out, Newman and McKelvey are looking for space for their first co-working, right. and they go and meet this Hasidic uh, landlord, Joel, and he doesn't want to rent to them, but he wants to invest with them. Oh, interesting. So he invests $15 million. What? And the interesting thing is, according to the real deal, um, this landlord, uh, Joel Schreiber, he's involved in over 12 money-owed lawsuits. <laughs> like really? Like 12 people have sued him 
or at least at the time the article was written, they are ongoing, that he embezzled or stole money from them, what? including a woman who says she invested $5 million with him, all of which he stole right before he invested in WeWork. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's just like one of those shady New York real estate stories where... Again, so apparently they get $3 million from selling the space to this landlord who for some reason trusts them enough and no explanation of where their initial money comes from. So they get the $3 million, then they get another $15 million, at least $5 million of which was just straight up stolen from someone. Right, right. Yo, that's crazy that they were like, hey, we got this business idea, and he's like, I just want to put money into y'all. Mm-hmm. It'd be like a dealer showing up and you want to buy drugs from him and being like, you know what, well, let me see if I can buy your supplier instead. Like, that's crazy. Right. I don't want your services. I want the service. Right. And so the way this is kind of described in the New York mag, we've got to be money laundering, right? Mm. That's got to be, he was trying to move some money around and was like, you know what? I need, I can put money into y'all. You kids seem like you're going to make some money from this stupid venture. Yeah. And you know, so the way that the New York mag describes their initial startup again, 2010 is like McKelvey. He has the architecture background. So he's kind of the one who makes the initial distinctive, we work spaces. They right. later bring in other people as well. But Adam Newman's whole deal is he's like the charisma pitch man. So he goes around to these various landlords. And I did just want to quote from this um, uh, this New York mag profile. He struck a deal for WeWork's second space across from the Empire State Building while polishing off a bottle of Johnny Walker Black with Ugh. David Czar, whose family owned the building. After touring a property owned by Jared Kushner, then a young real estate mogul, Newman coaxed Kushner into a bar for shots of tequila and later settled a dispute by beating him in an arm wrestling match. Oh my God. Newman and his wife Rebecca remained close with Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Uh, the past 10 years was the decade of I, he said in 2011. This decade is the decade of we. And so, I mean, that's like the origin story. Again, we've kind of mentioned how networking works in these power circles is like, yeah, he just meets like uh, Kushner and these other real estate fail sons. And it's like, hey, let's go get fucked up and party. And, you know, then it's like, yeah, sure. I'll sign out my dad's building lease to you. So it's like that's, you know, this is the fucking skill that we're all told is so much more valuable than everyone else's contribution to the world and society. So you're telling me if you can arm wrestle and drink, you can and are Jewish, you can become a success in New York real estate. You have to be good at arm wrestling. You got to be able to drink, uh, but also most importantly, you probably need to be Jewish. Yeah. Well, at least for Brooklyn real estate. Oh, sure, I sure. I mean, I bet mean, I mean, it'd be a benefit all around the world too. It is true. The uh, market value of a person who's able to spend more than two hours with Jared Kushner is $1 billion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, uh, I guess we'll kind of expand more on the story when we do a future episode on the other co-founder, Miguel McKelvey. But with the time I have left, I just kind of want to kind of drill down all of the self-dealing going on and all of the different ways this is probably a pump and dump scheme. Sure, sure. Um, hey, before we do that, I yeah. just want to talk about his wife, Rebecca Newman, real quick, because this lady uh, is uh, heading uh, We Grow, which is a new venture that is partnered with WeWork, which is schools for kids that, I mean, honestly, just seems like, you know, it's filled with, like, mysticism and education. It's, it's, not, it's not really, we're great teachers. It's literally just, give us more money because we can make money from your kids showing up at WeWork Enterprises. And I bet there's some sort of like we work employees get cheaper. Oh, you cheaper. mean community? That's what yes. you're describing. Yes, I've described community. Yeah. Uh, her story, real quick, is that her 
brother passed away when she was 11 years old. He was about 23 years old, and that was very detrimental. She goes to Cornell for, like, business, but then hates it, and then uh, does a lot of uh, spiritual stuff. She trains in... uh, and India, she goes to India. She she trains with the Dalai Lama. She gets a yoga certificate. She is, you know, white lady spiritual to the bone. And she marries Adam during this whole fucking baby crawlers incident. And then she's also a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. So anything that the brand Goop does, Rebecca wants her employees of WeWork to do. And one of our sources uh, sent us some information that they were at a speech given by the WeWork people, and apparently the founder's wife made everyone go on a yoga executive retreat with the focus to teach women employees to support their men. (laughs) (laughs) And her husband, Adam Newman, tried to walk it back in the intro speech, but she cut him off and was like, no, I meant what I said. (laughs) Um, And... They also sent out an email to like their receptionist or whoever worked the front desk, whatever they're called, if they're going to wear sneakers or athletic shoes, that they have to be brand name, even mentioning that they have to be Yeezys to maintain some sort of brand. Fuck yeah. Um, and I also mentioned that they have kombucha on trap, on tap, on trap too. But um, the Goop, if you don't know, is Gwyneth Paltrow's like lifestyle wellness brand, and they've been in a handful of controversies involving vaginal steaming coffee enemas and stickers supposedly made by NASA for health and wellness. Wait, you're not supposed to steam your vagina? Uh, Apparently not. Apparently, you're supposed to keep it at an optimal room temperature. But the biggest thing that cost them $145,000 is uh, these jade... uh, That's the most efficient way to cook it, though. (laughs) That's what Epstein would say. Uh, These jade uh, fucking vaginal... I don't know, eggs that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's company told women to put in to feel more one with oneself. And so uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's cousin, Rebecca Newman, is uh, a partner in this whole WeWork thing. So the entire brand identity and the brainwashing symptoms of WeWork come from Rebecca Newman. Right. And so it's interesting where uh, the IPO perspective lays out that Adam Newman, regardless of how shares are distributed, right. will always have controlling interest in the company. Oh, really? So, you know, like there's all this self-dealing compensation that we'll get to in just one second. But like the perspective essentially says, like, if you don't like this, tough. <laughs> like you you could buy this entire company. You can't change any of this. Here's, here's the thing about vaginal eggs, too, is when you take it out 24 hours later, it's bigger than before. <laughs> Um, but, oh, the other part of that is his wife, Rebecca Newman. Uh, there's another part of it, according to the New York Times, that says that if Adam Newman is disabled or killed or whatever the case may be, Rebecca Newman takes over the company. Oh, wow. Look at so that. it is just something where, uh, well, I guess let's just kind of uh, to skip ahead a little bit. We mentioned they launched 2010. They're able to do a bit of business because of the recession. You know, like landlords are having trouble finding tenants and then these you know, uh, co-working subleases. Uh, they're able to like continually build through various investors such as SoftBank in 2017. But it's, you know, it's not a company that's ever made money. It's just always been growing kind of on the Google or Uber, uh, I should say Amazon or Uber premise that like if you just become so dominant in the market, you can lose money forever. And then 
eventually you just make money because you're a monopoly or whatever the case may be. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, okay, so we mentioned the community-adjusted EBITDA. Uh, it's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Uh, which what is the vaginal egg-adjusted <laughs> EBITDA? Uh, so, again, this is like a standard accountant-approved uh, way of measuring a company's performance. Just according to New York Mag, the community-adjusted EBITDA excluded many costs like marketing, construction, and design that WeWork claimed would disappear once it reached financial <laughs> maturity. In an, in an attempt to show it could make a healthy profit, uh, the Financial uh, Times dubbed WeWork's doctored version, quote, perhaps the most infamous financial metric of a generation, unquote. So, you know, they're just making up stats and all this kind of shit. Um, again, according to Wall Street Journal, Adam Newman in the lead up to the IPO, which is always a great sign when they're dumping out in the lead up to the IPO, <laughs> he's dumped out at least $700 million worth of stock and pocketed it. You know, most founders wait until after the IPO. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's purchased penthouses in uh, Gramercy Park, West Village. These are like 28 million, 11 million townhouse, uh, large Westchester farm at $15 million. Um, just all these kind of in investments. Uh, but so I wanted to go over this Forbes article, lays out some of the official or some of the, the uh, self-dealing. So this is from Forbes. Uh, at least four buildings where WeWork is a tenant, uh, Adam Newman owns and then rents back to WeWork. Wow. <laughs> Apparently they've like divested this in the lead up to the IPO because they got called out on it. Sure. But it was like clearly still a profit. Like the Wall Street Journal reported that WeWork had paid more than $37 million in rent to an unnamed, quote, principal stockholder, unquote, <laughs> which is very obviously Adam Newman. Yeah, so, he is the landlord in a couple of cases to WeWork. Right. So, so it is able to give them like what some people think are sweetheart deals. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he's also just kind of taking uh, investor money and pocketing it well, yeah. in his own properties. <laughs> <laughs> this would be like a red flag to most investors for right, an IPO. Right. Right, and that's just kind of like the blatant self-dealing where they've only really, they're like going to put this in some sort of trust uh, because they've been called out in the lead up to the IPO. But just for years and years, WeWork was paying rent to buildings owned by Adam Newman, which very clearly for the company's health and financial prospects, it would be better if the company just owned those buildings outright. You know, so it's like very blatant self-dealing going on here. Uh, according to Forbes, another example is he, Adam Newman has been borrowing from Re WeWork. Uh, the company has made multiple loans to Newman personally and to his personal LLC at interest rates below 1%. These loans have been repaid, but the below market interest rates suggest Adam Newman was getting a clear benefit. Uh, another example, they've been employing family members. Newman's wife, Rebecca, we've mentioned, is a co-founder of WeWork and serves as the CEO of the company's education business, WeGrow, which we mentioned, but like people make the allegation that they essentially just set up a school for their children using WeWork, right, like right. company money and time. And, you know, like Rebecca gives these interviews where she talks about like community and growth and like the world would be better if everyone just attended a WeGrow school and then they wouldn't do global warming. And it's like WeGrow charges $42,000 a year in tuition. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not I'm not sure how your strategy is going to fix the world. Right. And Wait, I've got I've got some audio of um, Adam Newman negotiating uh, the uh, rental price with himself. Yeah, let's hear it. I don't know. They're deranged. 
Hello, Newman. Hello, Newman. That was it. <laughs> Just take that last part, the last two. The, the gur? The no, the hello Newmans in quick succession. Gotcha. I don't get uh, why people don't like me online. <laughs> <laughs> How much of this do you want in? Um, this was your idea, Yogi. It was. Hello, I ex- Newman. Hello, Newman. <laughs> I wrote down on my phone Seinfeld Newman drop question mark, and Andy went yes. Hello, Newman. I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be Orientalist, but Yogi is the most devious member of this podcast. Oh yeah. Oh, you damn right. Where he will, he oh, will give Newman. Andy sound drop setups, uh-huh. knowing that Andy will be blamed online for them. Well, listen. Damn you, Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Adam Newman cussing out one of the landlords. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, so just continuing. So Rebecca, his wife, we've mentioned, is the CEO of WeGrow, and also like we'll take over the company if Adam Newman dies or is disabled. Right. Uh, WeWork also employs another member of Newman's immediate family in a senior role, and it paid another family member to host events related to the Creator Awards in 2018. These are the ones where Ashton Kutcher and him are giving out money. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're employee family at all these senior levels. Oh, and then this one's so blatant. They changed. They most recently rebranded the company. For from WeWork to, quote, the We Company. Uh, But the company, in order to rebrand, the company paid Newman's personal LLC $5.9 million for the rights to the, quote, We Family of Trademarks. Oh, wow. So they rebranded the name and paid him almost $6 million for the We Trademark. What? Um, yeah, and so the company's dual-class share structure means uh, investors, public investors, will have no recourse to stop the self-dealing and personal profiteering. Um, that's actually that's actually a factor in some of the higher valuations is that they, I guess they believe in Adam so much. Oh, that really? They, the, his founder power, if you will, in terms of his higher <sighs> class stru- class shares structure Man. Um, is a factor in the, like, the $47 billion valuation. I mean, it makes sense. you got to have his... his uh Gaza Strip spirit to uh, maintain that assessment. And we mentioned at the top, the other part of it is the companies that are underwriting the IPOs, JP Morgan, Credit Suisse, and UBS are also extending him about $500 million in credit. No UBS. <laughs> uh, so possible conflict of interest there. Um, and then from the real deal, according to the most recent U.S. Securities Exchange Commission filing, known as the S-1, WeWork has committed $47 billion to U.S. landlords over the next 15 years. Uh, it plans to raise as much as $6 billion in debt when its IPO launches. It currently has about $2.5 billion in cash and has acknowledged that it sees, quote, no pathway to profitability in the foreseeable future. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on that upcoming recession. So what do you predict, ladies and gentlemen? What do you think is going to happen with this WeWork empire? I think Adam Newman's going to get murdered and Rebecca's going to turn it into like yoga studios or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, rent, renting out space to cults yeah. from Rebecca. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think like just the stupidest and therefore most likely possible ending is that the U.S. government is going to extend them like a $20 billion line of credit (laughs) at 0% interest because they just, you know, like maybe they're right. Right, Maybe it's not even a Ponzi scheme. They're just a too big to fail tenant where they figured out like this is the way our economy works now. If you just become fucking Goldman Sachs, nothing you do can bankrupt your company. Right. Well, they're friends with Jared Kushner. Yeah. Um. I did like uh, just a couple other stories before we close out here. Uh, so 
one like after they made these IPO filings, there were a couple different articles about like there's one in Deal Breaker about how landlords who are renting to WeWork wish they hadn't seen the IPO filing because <laughs> <laughs> you know because again like it's all very complicated and confusing. Like again, an analyst told Bloomberg it was a quote masterpiece of obfuscation. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, one tenant has, ar- or no, one landlord, according to Dealbreaker, has already launched a lawsuit against WeWork. Again, oh, really? Like, they're, like, trying to get theirs in first because they know if there's the bankruptcy, they'll be, like, stuck at the end of the line. <laughs> so the allegation in this lawsuit is basically this. Uh, they allege that WeWork transferred liability for the lease with this landlord from its parent company, WeWork Incorporated, Incorporated, uh, to a newly created WeWork Companies LLC, which just happens to be a shell company that nobody can establish any trace for at all. Oh. <laughs> and so, like, part of the lease, w- this is the, the landlord is known as 120 East 16th Street Co. LLC. It sued them in New York court. And uh, they allege that the lease says that if they transfer guarantor status on this lease, they have to do it to a company with at least $150 million in assets. But it is just like a funny little trick where WeWork is already changing their leases to LLCs that are just black boxes. So, <laughs> so say a bankruptcy happens, suddenly a bunch of landlords might be stuck like renting to an LLC with no conceivable assets or no contact info at all. I mean, it's it's kind of a two-way street because what's the the company suing him again? Yeah, uh, it's called, oh yeah, it is another black, 120 East 16th Street Co. LLC. Yeah, it's just these like anonymous <laughs> LLCs all suing each other. I fucking love oh, our yeah. economy, dude. No <laughs> Nobody has any idea what's this going on. <laughs> it's just like there's like the one great shell company wars on who's gonna <laughs> get stuck with you all the who's what. There's like one PO box in the Cayman Islands where 92 percent of the global <laughs> economy is incorporated. <laughs> Uh, and then, so another thing is there's a Wired article about, like, WeWork using, like, uh, facial recognition bullshit in their work to, oh, like, sure. check, you know, joy of company employees and <laughs> potentially in future, maybe they'll be sharing this info with uh, people who rent from them and telling them, you know, when their employees are smiling and what they are doing with all these other very Orwellian facial rec technology. Uh, so we'll see if anything happens with that. Um, it should be noted that WeWork has been able to keep costs in, tra- in check by avoidance of union labor. They had some sort of dispute in 2015 mm. with the cleaning workers union. Um, so just like, just like burning two million a year and right. self-dealing the founder, but still keeping costs down by <laughs> keeping the unions out. Um, yeah, if there's one constant amongst all these billionaires, it's union busting. And. Uh, and so I guess just like one last thing to close out here from this New York Magazine article, we should just talk about, you know, the underpinning of every fucking uh, we're the future. This isn't a job. This is a family startup tech company is uh, overworking their employees to death. Uh, according to New York Mag, in dozens of interviews, current and former WeWork employees and executives question wh- whether the company's culture is itself one worth spreading. Despite the company's slogan, quote, make a life, not just a living, employees at all levels have often reported working 60 or 70 hour weeks and Jeez. events like Thank God It's Monday and Summer Camp were mandatory. So Thank God It's Monday is they make employees stay late Mondays for like drinking and partying, but it's like... They're making employees do that. Right, like, right. You know, so it's just another way of squeezing. And we mentioned the summer camp is where they like kind of go away and like drink and party and mandatory camp. 
Yes. <laughs> mandatory drinking parties. I wonder if so mandatory... hazing, pretty much? Yeah. According to New York Mag, as, at its annual summit, the company keeps track of employee attendance at panels and events by scanning wristbands given to each person. Excessive absences are reported to managers. A number of employees describe a regular cycle at WeWork. New people would arrive excited to, by the company's mission, only to get burnt out, leave, and replaced by a fresh crop. Multiple executives told me Newman's cheerleading was critical to the company's uh, success. From a business perspective, the cult is working, unquote, said one executive. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so... And so it is just something where it's like, yeah... That is is entirely the startup model, is you hire people fresh out of college, uh, you work them until they burn out and find, you know, a job that doesn't do that, and then you just, like... Especially if it's it's, uh, kind of low uh, training overhead, you just do it again. I mean, so, and it is like, if you listen to Rebecca or Adam Newman, any of their public interviews, just go on YouTube, watch for 10 minutes, and just, like, try to convince yourself you're not listening to Charles Manson. (laughs) Because it's like, this is a fucking cult. Like, this is all their rhetoric, is all this, like, oh, they talk about, we're not, like, a rental, or we're not a landlord, we're a technology company. This is where all the rework value, because it's, like, it's just the usual web 2.0 app bullshit, where you take, like, an existing business model that doesn't work, you slap an app on it, and you do a bunch of fucking techno jargon and millennial and community and all this other shit, and you just keep doing that until you have a $47 billion valuation on a, you know, $1 to $3 billion business. Business, and then you fucking cash out and it's other people with 401ks and public pensions that are left holding the bag. There's this uh, Cova tour profile on Rebecca Newman and this is like after uh, the baby crawlers thing and this is our quote from her. At the time I was performing with the old Vic Theater and we were putting on a Chekhov play directed by the great Eve Best. In the empty loft space it was incredibly inspiring and amazing for me. All of our WeWork members would attend the shows and the rehearsals. Once we were doing an acting exercise and Eve had us running up and down the stairwells, screaming at the top of our lungs, and all the members ran out to see what was going on. It was very fun, very artsy. We like to say that we consider ourselves artists in business. It's the merging of those two worlds that has been very unique and exciting. I had that... Made me realize that the baby knee pads thing was uh, Chekhov's fraud. <laughs> uh, one last thing from the New York Mag: Multiple people told Newman, uh, me Newman has expressed a des- Adam Newman has expressed a desire to turn over twenty percent of WeWork staff every year. He denies this, but there have been like at least two publicly reported rounds of mass firings. Uh, which the company said involved calling unproductive workers. But again, this is just work people 60 or 7 hours a week, 70 hours a week, and then fire them when they burn out. Right. And then you've got a new crop mm. of uh, fucking people to exploit and uh, run into the ground. And, you know, it's like we said, it is just a cult thing. Um, uh, we should mention, we don't have time to go into it too much, but there have been various sex harassment and other overwork lawsuits. A woman said that she was... Uh, she'd been groped at both the company summit and summer camp by colleagues. Really? You know, um, and, you know, so there's there's various lawsuits for overwork. But I guess we'll see what happens with the scam. We'll see what happens with the public IPO. But two last things I wanted to close out on is, mm-hmm. uh, according to New York Mag, uh, in 2015, a landlord kicked out two tenants' rights organizations from their offices in downtown San Francisco to make way for WeWork, which reportedly offered to pay double the rent. Really? So it is like another part of it is, you know, we've mentioned the avoidance of union labor, but we've also mentioned kind of this close relationship with landlords mm-hmm. where it's like, 
they can burn two billion a year to like fucking expel tenants rights organizations from offices and it's like yeah of course landlords will work favorably with someone who helps out their class interests um but i i did want to mention just we've talked a lot about how this is a cult and how, you know, the language of cult membership and how this like really convinces people that this is some sort of revolutionary new thing when it's just a business model that's old as time that doesn't make any fucking sense and is going to get anybody who invests in it, you know, just straight up hosed. And so this is from the Wired profile. We've mentioned these creator awards and, uh, you know, he's talking about, uh, he, Adam Newman gives this speech at the Creator Awards. He says, when you know that giving is receiving, you start to understand a little bit more about how the universe works, unquote. In order to give, you must first receive. But in order to receive, one must first give. I have it on good authority. This dude does not eat butt. When you talk about giving, you're talking about receiving $700 million in stock <laughs> payments <laughs> and not disclosing that join, until the Wall Street Journal discovers it. Join me in the revolution that is commercial real estate fueled by debt. Drink the unlimited Kool-Aid. I mean beer that is at our locations. Uh, from the Wired profile, he is preaching to the choir. One nominee at these Creator Awards is visibly emotional as she accepts her award in front of the audience of more than 2,500 people. Quote, I rarely have crushes on business people because I think most of them are full of shit, <laughs> she says to the audience. But when I hear Adam speak and he talks about the we generation, I really feel this because everything that goes on in the world is just about what we can do for each other here. And so... I mean, that's it in a nutshell. It's a cult. It's convinced people that, you know, up is down and that capitalism is good if you just throw the word kibbutz and we on it. And at the end of the day, like, we'll see who's left holding the bag. But keep an eye on your family and friends if they start talking in WeWork lingo and excluding (laughs) fucking investing in the IPO. Cut them out of your life. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I guess we'll follow up. Uh, it's a big topic. So if we missed anything, feel free to hit us up. Grubstakerspodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, again, check your 401ks, stay out of WeWork stock. But, uh, if you want to be risky, you know, put that shit on puts, baby. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> short that on the way down. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Bywell. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffers. Uh, I'm Sean McCarthy. Check us out on Patreon. 40 more. Andy licks the bull. Mm-hmm.